Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 131 of the Corona Diaries. Hey! And it's a really, really, really special episode ending in a one, and we don't normally do this, but we've got another guest with us. And I don't even know your surname. I only know you as Charlie. Charlie Hunter. Charlie Hunter. And I imagine everybody by now has picked up on the fact that you are that Charlie who drives (laughs) that bus and has got all of those stories. I am, yes. (laughs) You are. (laughs) Before we start, a bit of housekeeping. H, yeah. your first message to me today was, I'm off out to get my roots done. Successful? No, complete washout. Oh. Yeah, the, the, I, went, I went in this salon next door and, uh, you know, it, it, it was all there. They all were, beavering away. Two blonde German girls on the desk. And I said, any chance of doing my roots? She went, no, no, we are too busy. I said, what about Tomorrow. No, we're too busy then as well. She didn't even look down. She said, we have the short stuff. We have the short stuff on people on holiday. So that was that. So, oh, all right, don't want me money then. I'll you know, clear off. So um, I'm going to have to wait to Bremen. Right. Do you know somewhere in Bremen? Is there a, a Bremen No, but roots? I've just got a good feeling about Bremen. I right. always have had... Right, each I've got a sharpie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you may well have to get stuck in. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time, actually. <laughs> I've got I'm one here. I'm loving. I'm loving the little German accent there, and the little kick at German efficiency as well. <laughs> That's not going to come back and bite us, is it? It's gone right down the pan. The German efficiency, actually, yeah. they've definitely. Um, you know, they're slowly becoming English. <laughs> The other thing is, before we start, you've got socks on your microphones. Yes, these aren't just any socks, are they, Charlie? No, the dream catchers. They're dream. These, they're dream catchers, according in to in H's room. He's trying. He's trying to imply that I've been doing things into these socks, which I haven't, apart from sticking <laughs> my feet in them occasionally. But they are clean. But in the absence of pop, they're quite. They make quite good pop shields. Because I do find I get a lot of popping on these 58s, just to you know, just to carry on where Mark left off, boring you shitless with technical stuff. These SM58s do pop a little, you know, and by pop I mean go purr, purr, you mm. know, which um, isn't isn't good technically. No, it's it's a plosive, isn't it? It's a plosive, Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, and here's hoping her husband's a lot better. Yes, um, yes, but yes. That was a bad joke in, the, that, in in terms of what's just happened to them. That's awful, isn't it? Well, no, because I don't think he was beaten with an SM58. So I think you're fine in that respect. No, well, um, he's probably wishing he had been. Um, oh, I don't know. You can you can do a lot with a 58. I've seen um, that way do a lot with a 58. Um, and the other one's sibilance, isn't it? Plosive and sibilance. That's the two, isn't it? That's the s- bit, isn't it? He used to work for Shaw Microphones, Charlie. Oh, he knows Charlie's all about this. Ah, right, this, right. Hence the, hence the Char- deep Charlie's knowledge. already glazing over. Deep microphone knowledge of the man there. Oh, right. Proper sound guy. <laughs> so before we start, before we start seeing what dirt we can get from Charlie on the band, because that's that's clearly the reason why he's one of the reasons why he's here. And if we can't Blood's, get dirt on the Blood's band, let's get dirt out of his face now. Let's get dirt on other bands. Um, are you going to? This impression, H, this Charlie impression that everybody knows and loves. Didn't I just do it? Yeah, but we weren't recording. Ah, were you not? No. Are you you ready then? Go on then. All right, H. There you go. So, Charlie, what do you think? (laughs) He's a bit wrong with the H bit. (laughs) 
did sound a bit exaggerated for me. Well, I thought I was posh. <laughs> well, I think you are. <laughs> well, I, you know, obviously, it's funnier if I make it worse. Yeah, Has he placed you in the you wrong are. area of Liverpool there? Yeah, he's put me down the Scotty Road end of Liverpool uh, on the south side of the city. Uh, with the ne'er-do-wells. Uh. <laughs> right. <laughs> the posh side of the city. Mm. You see, that's what he says about you, Charlie, when you're not on the podcast. I What's that? Not. Just, just, you know, he's, he's popping you in with the ne'er-do-wells. Don't you wind him up. <laughs> so let's, you... let's start at the beginning then. How long have you two known each other? Mm. How long have you, have you... When was the first time you got on his bus? Marbles tour. Was it? Yeah. When was that? I'm not very... 2003, good. I think. Oh, so nearly... Oh, was it? No, 2004. 2003, two. And that was the Marbles tour, I think. Well, right. The start. The pro- best part of 20 years then, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good Lord. Good and is it, how, how do you work this then? Because how many tours have you been on since? Do you know, I, I don't really know, I can't remember. I've been, I, sometimes I don't do the tours because I'm, I'm on a, a different tour or another tour, yeah. you know. So I've done a lot of the tours over the years. Uh, I'd say 70% of them. Right, uh, and is it, is it and that, that, the, the bit I was getting to, is it difficult to book you as a driver then? Bearing in mind, tours are really fluid things, aren't they? They last different lengths of time. I'm it's sorry. not a... Yeah, it's not an easy thing to, to forecast, is it? Yeah, you know, you have to juggle it round, and uh, well, as we say in work, on the board has to be changed. I mean, right. I'm requested all the time for a Marillion tour, because it doesn't sometimes fit, and I can't do it. But right. I try and get on them if I can. And the, Our office do try and work around it, but sometimes they can't. And what is it about working with this band, then? They're great. I, uh, they are they're nice guys, lovely to work with. Tour managers, brilliant. Very relaxed. Not really rock and roll. It's great. It's just like a big family on the road. Hmm. And we've heard that from other people. Lewis was saying that the other day, H, wasn't he? About the whole family vibe. Well, he, he, he was saying how much he's enjoying being on this tour. He said, because in, in most bands, there's always one or two difficult people who ruin it for everybody else. Uh, one way or another, and he, he said, "He said we haven't got um, one of those." But you know, even the crew, even the crew's good. I mean, yeah, you said that as well. The, the crew are like homegrown, brilliant. Yeah, we 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 like it that way. You know, if there's anybody in the crew that sort of doesn't really fit in, that's as important to us as, as whether they're good at what they do. In fact, it's probably more important because there's some people on the crew who are just lovely, you know, but but pr- might not be the first people you'd, you'd go to from the professional level. <laughs> <laughs> You're right there. Yeah. But the loveliness wins out and that's more important to us. than We'd rather somebody got sort of, you know, 80% of, of, of their gig together and 100% of their loveliness rather than 100% of their gig and 80% of their loveliness, you know. Right. I think we should leave that exactly as it is and let everybody <laughs> interpret that exactly how they want to. I'll edit some of it out. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll try and clean that up so that, that these people will work with me again. Yeah, they're all right. They're all good. They're all good. They're all good characters. They've got their own character about them. They can, they can take a wind up. Oh yeah, they give like them plenty of that. So twenty twenty years then. I mean, and you kind of alluded to it there, but is is it just? Is it? Does it come down to as simple as they are just nice people to be around? Because you're in close proximity, aren't you? For you know, three, four, five weeks at a time. Yeah, I mean. They are, there's a good atmosphere and everybody's sound. I mean, I have Ian in the cab most of the night with me, sitting there, chatting away, smoking his brains out. Oops, did I slip up there? <laughs> yeah. No, I think we're all aware of that. And then if Frenchie would come in, he'd have a sit down, he'd have a gab. So it's a bit of a revolving door. As I say, I sleep in the daytime in there. I call it the dog, the dog kennel. And at the night, it's the confession box. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's brilliant, but a confessional on a tour bus, I mean, you must have had some stories then. Well, yeah, but, you know, as we say, what happens on the road stays on the road. Isn't that right, I, I think I think you're missing what this is all about, Charlie. I think I think you've, you've misinterpreted the whole concept of... You're not here to talk about me, by the way. You're here to talk about everybody else. I've done yeah. a lot of tours, yeah, but, I mean, 
Yeah, over the years I've seen a lot of things, a lot of characters. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of things. Hmm. Some funny, some not so funny. Is there a lot of real, real drama? It, I mean, I, you know, it depends. Sort of quite on edge the of the seat stuff. Yeah, it depends on the band. Yeah. Have you had a band split up mid tour? Uh, let me think. No, I've had tours cancelled, but because of bands uh, falling out, but not splitting up. Right. I've got news. Who's cancelled them while they've been on mid tour? Because I mean, this will be public knowledge anyway. Because you know, uh, tours will have. I'm going back a few years ago. I was on. I think it was Eternal. And right. They just, just cancelled. I mean, we were supposed. I think it was. I think it was. Was it Eternal or All Saints? One of them bands on there. They cancelled. I think it was. They just pulled the last two shows. I think it was a, a band thing. I'm not too sure, but that's what happened. Hmm. I mean, it does happen. I remember. There's a, there's a gig in a famous alarm gig in London where Mike Peters just walked on stage and announced to the audience that that's it. He was leaving the band, and the band were in it for the same time the audience were in it. So I mean, it does happen, doesn't it? Yeah, it does happen. Yeah. Oh, he did that, didn't he? And uh, Amy Odin with the spiders from Mars announced that it was his last show, and the band <laughs> didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty wicked. I mean, normally, everything goes ahead. You know what I mean? It's very rare. Tours get cancelled. Uh, at the moment, I think tours are getting cancelled because of ticket sales. That's what we're finding. Yeah. That's interesting because ticket sales have been, for Marillion, ticket sales have been fine, haven't they? They've been pretty good. They were down a little bit in France, and the, the promoter said it was because um, he thought it was because people still hadn't quite got back into the habit. Of going out after COVID, you know, they they got in, in out of the habit of going to concerts. Um, you know, they'd still go and see, he said they'll still go and see the really big acts. You know, if if Lady Gaga's touring or whatever, that'll sell out. But he said said all the all this you know big but not huge bands have, have seen tickets drop from the kind of people who who'd go, oh, I'll go and see them. You know, rather than the hardcore, the kind of oh, I'll go and see them. People are, are, have got out of the habit of just going to see a gig, um, and I think he, he thinks it's mainly a post-COVID thing. Yeah, that's right. That COVID definitely COVID. I mean, when we started coming back together last year, work-wise, a lot of shows were a lot of people weren't going because of COVID. We were scared to go. The shows were going ahead, but the capacity was right down. And I, th- I, th- I still think it's like that now. Yeah, there's a little bit of fear, and then there's a little bit of just having got out of that habit as well. And it depended on the... the I know this sounds stupid, but the age of the artist. Because if it was a young band, all the young people would go. But if it was an older, art- older artist, you wouldn't... You would, you wouldn't right, see, the see. older people were a bit, had a yeah. bit more fear about it. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. More to lose, I guess. I remember Glenn Matlock... Um, talking about that because he he not only did he pull a couple of shows because he was concerned when he started going back out, but also all the kind of the post show meet and greet and all that kind of stuff he just didn't he just didn't want to do. Yeah, we stopped that. Uh, uh, I mean, on the but we we sort of toured more or less in the jaws of COVID at one point in between mm. those two humps. Yeah, and um, you know, and we bubbled and and didn't see anyone we didn't even hang around our own crew you know which is well weird for us because we're normally one big family but it would have cost us so much to pull the remainder of the show which is what we'd have had to do if anyone of the band got the the plague so there was a lot of money riding on it we had to be really careful so we we weren't doing any meet and greets. We weren't doing any pictures or autographs before or after the show or, or anything, which is really quite alien to us. Because you know, I usually do something in the street, mm. and after I've done that, I do a few autographs. <laughs> I mean, every tour I've done just after COVID, there was always COVID on the bus. You know, so one tour there was nine people went down with it in a, in a matter of five days, and basically it was like a revolving door. We'd sanitise the bus, clean the bus, and the, you know, if it was a video guy, a new video guy would come and take over his place. It was just like they'd swap them out. 
just to keep the tour going. Right. Get rid of them and replace them. You can't do that with a band, though, can you? No. No. Well, not mid-tour, well, I mean, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Axel Rose tends to, but no, no. For most bands, no, it doesn't happen. Um, Hang on, I Charlie have to have has- a sneezy fit now. I go, ah! Oh, bloody hell, that's better. That was a good sneeze. That was a good, that was a good sneeze. Um, I didn't think about that, Charlie. So... You must have had a... That must have been weird. That period where we were kind of in all the, the COVID kind of guidance and restrictions for things like that, for cleaning tour buses and all that kind of stuff. Because, like, you get used to it. You know, you got to have your hair cut and you walk in, you've got a mask on, you leave, they clean the seat, next one comes in and what have you. But a bus, that's a bit... That's a bit trickier, I would have thought. Yeah, you just have to change, keep changing the bedding. I mean, that was a cost to the tour as well, because we only normally change the bed in every seven days. But right. when you're changing it every other day, it starts to mount up and it's not cheap. No. So do and how it. do you manage with stuff like that on the road then? Because I suppose every seven days, what, do, 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 do you stop and wash it or do you pick it up? Uh, sorry, I don't know why I'm interested in laundry, but... No, we have runners at I'm the I'm now ven- fascinated by uh, this. Yeah, we have runners at the venues, so we send the laundry out, or I carry three sets, which normally gets me through a tour and I swap them out. Right. right. And how much of that is down to you then, all that kind of... Well, the, 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 I have to clean the bus inside and out. I have to stock the... Well, I don't have to stock the bus, but I normally go to the catering and stock the bus up with the beer and the wine and whatever else they need on the bus. And she, occasionally, yeah. occasionally slips me a bottle of gin. That's right, there. I've had a good will. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is... Are you going to edit out the word occasionally? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not just about driving a bus, it's about a lot of other things. You've got to keep mm. that, it's your home, it's it's, it's mm. everybody else's home, but you've got to keep it clean. You're like a hotel manager, aren't you? Yeah. The only thing I can say about the um, the band on here, though, they can't find a dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a pile of plates Isn't in there. Is a dishwasher? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's called Charlie. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> No wonder, no wonder I haven't found it. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving this kind of. I've not thought about this before because you, you know about the tour bus and all this, that, and the other. But how key, how key it is, and how key you are just to keeping the whole thing. Because it's a long period of time, so everybody's got to be relaxed. Everybody's got to be comfortable. Everybody's got to try and forge some kind of way of coping with being on the road for three, four, five weeks at a time. And I'd not given it anything like as much... Charlie, you're a god, aren't you, in some way, shape or form? You're like a mix between a god and a matron. Yeah, and a mother. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a priest. And a, and a priest. priest. The confession yeah. box of a night. I'm really... Yeah. And Don't fancy recording some of those confessional sessions, <laughs> do you? Bit of extra content. Well, whenever we're going on the road, you know, it's one of the first questions I ask. I go, is Charlie on the bus? I mean, you know, yeah, oh, that's all right. I look forward to it then. Yeah. Um, you know, if he's not on the bus, it's going to, um, mm, you know, there's going to, you know, there's going to be a different atmosphere. Charlie always has a good atmosphere going. Um, he royally takes the piss out of anyone and everyone, um, mm. and that causes a lot of mirth. So it, it, it makes for a good atmosphere. We always have a good time on the bus. About a week ago. So we've got Lewis on the bus, our guest, and he loves to tell a story. And he likes to put the sound effects in, like the knocking on the door and everything. And I'm in bed. I'm, you know, I've done a long night. So I'm in bed, I can hear Lewis, I can hear H, I can hear whoever else is in there uh, going through the stories. He hears him telling them about the knocking on the door. So I thought, I'll get up. And he opened the door, and H is sitting across from me, and he goes, Ah, have we woken you up? I says, My father said, if you don't want to die on your own, become a bus driver. <laughs> you should have seen the faces. <laughs> so yeah. what's what's normal in terms of catastrophe and what's out of the ordinary? Because some stuff just must happen all the time. Things getting forgotten, having to, you know, whip and, 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 and solve a missing passport or, or, or some kind of things that have been left behind or something that people desperately need. But what's... You're going to hit a moose, can't you? We, I hit a deer, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. I hit, hit, a... Hit, hit a deer or a moose or something yeah. off in Norway 
Yeah, no, we were, no, it was in Denmark. No, Germany. Oh, was it? That's when Phil, the sound guy, came down the front with the back door handle in his hand. Because when he had the deer, I pulled into a gas station, but I jumped out the driver's door to have a look at the damage, the total of, you know, the corner of the bus, the headlight and all that. But I didn't see any of the crew getting off at the back. It was like a semi-decker bus, where the lounge was at the back of the bus. <clears throat> anyway, I set off. Next minute, Phil... A couple of minutes later, Phil, the sound guy, comes down. He's got the door handle in his hand. I said, what are you doing with that? He said, you drove off and uh, left me. And I grabbed hold of the door and pulled myself in. He said, and the handle came off. <laughs> I didn't see him get off <laughs> as I was driving away. <laughs> oh, I wish, wish I could have heard Phil's instant response at that point in time. I was more worried about my door handle. If there's anybody you're going to leave off the bus, though, Phil, Phil's capable of getting himself back on, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's probably, you know, what, you mean swinging from tree to tree? Well, he's, he's the closest to... lamp standard. Yeah, he's the closest to kind of a Tarzan stroke Indiana Jones figure, isn't he? I guess he is, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's had to be flexible in uh, in his work over the years. Some of the clubs he does sound in in London, you've got to have your wits about you, I think. Mm. So, hitting a deer, that's fairly up there. Yeah. And anything else as real milestones of your years of driving? No, I mean, I go to some interesting places, I can say I was going to say, I've been anywhere in the Kremlin. I've been in the Kremlin, where when Putin took over, there's a gig in the Kremlin. Um, it's called the Kremlin Theatre. We've done a tour of Russia with Tom Jones. We had nine days there. We would have actually gone into St. Petersburg uh, the day the planes went into the buildings and then... Um, in you know in America, nine and eleven, we were actually just arrived in Saint Petersburg from Helsinki, and we've done a couple of shows there. And to this day, I never seen any TV footage of you know the live footage as it was going on because we were in mm. Russia. It was the Russians were trying to tell us there was fifty thousand people killed. And we're like, what? You know, but I was like, he'd been on the vodka, but we find out it was like five thousand. And the owner of the company at the time phoned me up when we were in Russia, and uh, he said to me. How's it gone? I got over the borders and everything okay, yeah. He says, have you heard the news? I says, something's going on, ain't it? He says, yeah, he says, there's been a terrorist attack in uh, America. He said, planes have gone into the building and there's a lot of people being killed. I said, you're joking? He says, no. I said, who's, who's done it? Did he know? He said, well, they're blaming the Russians at the moment. <laughs> and it fell off the seat. <laughs> <laughs> he was winding me up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll never forget that. That woke me up. And then, yeah, as I say, being, then we went to Moscow, got rested on Red Square. Um, we just got there, and the hotel was the Metropole, right by Red Square. So, you know, we'd never been to Russia before. We all charged onto Red Square. Next minute, I could hear somebody shouting, Charlie, Charlie, American accents. This guy's walking towards us, and then the police and a bit of military that were there were walking at the same time, and I'm thinking, what's going on? And this American guy turned out to be a guy I know from a tour called Eugene, who is a, a lighting operator. And he just turned up with the Depeche Mode in Moscow, and he went off on a you know a war. But we didn't know because of you know 9/11 there was heightened security everywhere, and the police and the army were straight over to us, and like passports and that. And once we pulled the identification cards because we were doing the Kremlin, they basically dropped us and let us go. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, that's. It is fascinating because I mean, and I know we all grew up on Cold War movies and lived through, you know, the sort of the seventies and the eighties and what have you. But there's still that kind of thing of what would happen if I just got chucked in jail in Russia. Do you know Russia to me when I went because we had armed guards for the vehicles and all that. It was a different world. I mean, I realised I felt safe in the EU, but once I came out of the EU, you know EU into them places. I felt worthless. Mm. You know, having to, having to have security, armed guards, you know, around, you know, to escort us everywhere, and we had interpreters with us. It's not like that now because I've been back a few times since, but then it was a bit intense. And yeah, a bit hairy. Yeah, you were invited to Russia. You weren't. You couldn't just turn up. You had to be invited. So when we were turned up at the, you know, the border, they'd say, "Why are you coming here?" And you say, oh, "I've been invited to do a concert with Tom Jones." You know, that's what basically what you were saying to them. And then they stamped you in. I mean, it took you like three, maybe four hours to get over the borders and that. And then we had 
I'm, I'm guards waiting on the other side to then take us off to Helsinki, escort us to Helsinki, then escort us to Mos- Moscow. And that's the fear, isn't it, that you could be very quickly uninvited? Yes. Mm. Yeah. H, is it like that when you go anywhere you go? Because you don't tend to do much in the East, do you? But um, Well, I won't I guess... go to Russia. I've said to Lucy, to, you know, if we're offered any shows in, in Russia, don't accept them because I'm not going. Mm. And, and I, I felt like that before any of this in Ukraine. Um, I've, I've heard enough stories and read enough books about how it is there, how it's basically run by... It's a sort of... It's run by gangsters, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's no democracy. The police force are, are, are directly accountable to a handful of blokes at the top. And if they take a dislike to you, you've, you've had it. <coughs> and um, no one's going to help you. The law courts aren't going to help you. The cops aren't going to help you. And I, I won't go to places like that. Because, yeah, I wouldn't go there with the, with the intention of upsetting anyone. But you've only got to make a little quip on stage or, you know, I've been, I've got a mouth like a torn pocket, so I, I say whatever passes through my head normally. And um, you just never know. If, if, if they decide they don't like the cut of your jib, um, you're in trouble. And nobody's getting you out of trouble, really. So I wouldn't trust a rock and roll promoter to... You know, to get to, to get me through to a keep court you safe. and out of there. No, yeah, not if I can't trust the coppers. So no. I wouldn't go. Um, we've been to places where it's been a bit hairy. You know, where I mean, we went. Caracas was always hairy. Uh, Venezuela, um, even before you go, Chavez. You'd get there and they'd pick you up in a in a minibus and you'd have you'd have blokes either side of you who were seriously tooled up. I remember one guy slapping this Magnum forty four on my knee and saying, What do you think to that? And and like sort of picking it up between me thumb and me forefinger, gingerly giving it back. That's lovely. You should probably <laughs> hang on to that. <laughs> you don't want me anywhere near something like that. <laughs> I wouldn't know one end of a gun from another, really. Um, but, but it's, you know, last time we played Caracas, I left my laptop on stage, uh, and the stage was surrounded by men with machine guns, and when I got back, it, the laptop had gone. You know, one of the men with machine guns had had it because nobody was getting past them. Yeah. So when you can't trust the security in a country, you're really in trouble. Um, So we've been to a few places over the years, you know, Rio can be a little bit lively as well. You know, you usually have people looking after you that you don't know they're there. Um, I must have told this story before, but when, when I went to Brazil the first time in 1990, I kept seeing this bloke. And uh, I'd be walking down the street. I go, oh, it's that bloke again. I didn't see him yesterday. I thought it was a coincidence. And then at one point I was in this market and I bumped into him in the market. I said, didn't I see you yesterday? And he's smiling, looking at me and nodding. I said, yes. I said, what are you doing here then? He said, I'm looking after you. And I had no idea he'd been following me about. (laughs) So, um, you know, they can be quite discreet. Uh, to the point where you don't realise that they're there. But once you know you're being looked after, well, certainly the way I reacted to that was that from that moment forward, I dedicated my life to shaking him off. So I'd slip out the back door (laughs) because I knew that if I went out the front door, there he'd be again, you know. So I used to slip out uh, to avoid him because I didn't want anybody following me around. Um... Not that I was going to get up to any anything, but you know, you just want to feel free. I'm used to feeling free. I don't. Mm. I, I wouldn't like to have security. It doesn't doesn't do it for me. Doesn't no. make me feel important. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, but you got to have your so, wit. You got to have your wits about you when you go out in certain places. You do. Yeah. You do. It's true. So, Charlie, where, how far do you go? 
Do you? Uh, is it Europe? Is it? That's the best coffee you've had all day. <laughs> Go yeah. all the way, <laughs> all the way. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe I used that line. It's just, yeah. <laughs> But I'll double down and ask it again. So, Charlie, how far do you go? Well, we go as far as Moscow and as uh, we go down as far as Turkey, Greece. Right. Yeah, we don't go over to North Africa or nothing like that. Um, but bands start flying when they have to go to places like that. Um, mm. But, yeah, it depends on you've the ne- tour. You've never done any driving in the US or anything like that? You've never... No, no. Well, we have got a company in the US, but no. Uh, I've never done it. It's never appealed to me. No. No. And what's it like then, keeping... Because this must be a fairly weird life. I mean, how many weeks of a year are you away from home? Um, before COVID, you could do up to 300 days a year. I've been living on a shelf. That's what we call it. Shelf life. Shelf He's just got life. his own shelf on the bus. <laughs> Ian's got his own shelf. That's what, that's what we call them bunks. Yeah. But 300 days... It's a way of life. I mean, I've been away since I was 18. I mean, my family had a holiday company. And uh, I started off going down to Spain twice a week. I mean, but I I, I used to go down on the buses, you know, as a a tea tart, as we used to call them. You know, just doing drinks and that when I was younger. And then I got me, uh, I worked in the garage, maintaining the vehicles. And then they ended up getting me a license and going down to Spain, Italy, whatever, twice a week, doing what we call shuttles. And then I fell out with them and ended up doing rock and roll um, for another company who was doing music, and I've never looked back since. And my first tour, I always remember my first tour, was Dion Warwick. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, favourites then? Favourites out of the acts you've worked with? Uh, Marillion. Uh, yeah, I know Marillion aside. I've got to say that. Oh, get off yeah, my leg, yeah. will you, each? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> Uh, David, I'll do, it. I'll do it by bank transfer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David Gilmore was one of the best as well. I mean, I was a big fan of Pink Floyd and I'd, I'd done his tour of 2016 and it was amazing. Went to some fantastic places, Pompeii. Yeah. Went to places you'd never go again. Yeah. You know, and, and his music is brilliant. Um, I've worked with loads. I've done Gaga tours. I mean, we've been production buses. She has her own bus. She loves a bus, to be honest. I mean... She travels a lot in the bus. She does have a private jet now and then. Um, a lot of bands use the bus. The status quo live on the bus. They, yeah. They'll they park outside the hotel but still live on the bus. Do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see the attraction of that, to be honest, because by the time you've hauled all your stuff into a hotel yeah. and packed it and, lo- and left half of it and then had to go back and get the bits you've left and then get them into your room and all of, the, all of that and then for one night and then... Haul it all back out there, and then you, then you leave half of it in the hotel, and you have to go back for it. It's a right old ball egg. So well, I, 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 that doesn't really surprise me. I was wondering if anybody. Did, I said to Ian the other day, I don't know if I'm going to go in any more hotels. Well, Ian was going. Ian was going to come back on the bus for, uh, twice on this tour because of the hotels. Yeah. I mean, he checked out to that hotel in Grenoble because the air conditioning wasn't working. No, we were boiling up. I went you to couldn't another... open the window because you got eaten alive by the mozzies, which <laughs> we all did. Went to another hotel, checked into another hotel to be told the air conditioning didn't work there, <laughs> to then go back to the old hotel and check in. That's right, yeah. yeah. He, he, he said, this is not good enough, I'm changing hotels, and he, went, he got all his stuff out, went across town, and when he got there, their, their AC wasn't working either. <laughs> he had to come back. And then you got Phil, the sound guy, complaining at the desk he's going to get his solicitors out <laughs> of the hotel. I love the idea of Ian strutting around. <laughs> Oh. In a slight diva fashion. Well, he doesn't really do the diva. He just, he's not he a just diva. does extreme vi- yeah. sudden violence. Violence. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah, and then mosquitoes are on the bus at the moment. He yeah. brought them with them. Yeah, we're all bitten to bugger yeah, They left the door open and we, we took an insert of uh, mosquitoes. Yeah, someone brought them with them. I'm not blaming Lewis, like. Mm. <laughs> oh, you can't blame Lewis. Everybody loves Lewis. Yeah, he always has the door open. H, we, you've recorded the diary, haven't you? I have this week. For once, I know what's in it. Yeah, should we? Should we go for a bit of diary? Yeah, we, we've, we've actually been gabbing for. I was just having a quick look. We've been gabbing for thirty-five minutes. Have we? 
Yeah. yeah. Should we go to uh, go to a bit of diary? Yes, I just had a baby. I had a you bit, had? I, I'd had a baby and then I went and ran into Meatloaf, who was convinced he'd met me. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting sort of weekend. Two thousand and eight. Wednesday, eleventh of June. Lynetta gave birth to Emil at the Horton Hospital, Banbury. We nicknamed him Vibes because he often used to hiccup while she was pregnant, and we'd watch her tummy pulsating. After he was born, he often got the hiccups. He still does. Friday, twenty-fifth of July. Got up with Vibes at six forty had already given him a bottle of milk, but he'd decided he'd get up and there was no settling him. Snorting and grumbling like E.T. Downstairs, changed his nappy and sat on the sofa with him for long enough to make a coffee, at which point he nodded off again, so put him back in his cot and went back to bed. He didn't sleep long. Elle got up with him around eight and I slept till 9.30. Saturday, 26th of July. Lisbon. Didn't sleep very well. Despite the obvious luxury of the large bed and new bed linen, I couldn't get on with the pillows. They felt expensive, but they felt wrong. One of the tricky things about travel is the pillow situation. The only solution is to bring your own, but there's something a bit embarrassing about travelling with a pillow under your arm. Makes you feel like a four-year-old, or a vagrant, or Paddington Bear. Definitely not cool, anyway. Took every advantage of the lion. Not an option anymore at home since the arrival of Little Vibes. Called room service and asked for a couple of cappuccinos and a bowl of muesli, and called Elle while I was waiting for them to arrive. She says it's a beautiful day in England, and that Vibes is behaving reasonably. Niall is still in bed. I popped up to the 8th floor to use Frenchie's computer to send an email to Carl, our graphic designer, with a missing lyric, Trap the Spark. I'd also promised Richard Barbieri a recent picture of Emile. I can't email from my room without paying Swisscom's rip-off tariff of €22 for an internet connection. There's a little hi-fi in my room next to the telly. I loaded up the CDR of the latest mixes and had a listen. I think we're pretty close now. The tracks are sounding great and I only have a few minor details to ask Mike to address. I was still listening to the mixes and making notes when Elle called back to wish me a good gig. It was 1.15 and we're leaving at 1.30. Woof, I'd better shower and get dressed. Climbed into a minibus for the 30-minute drive to the venue, the Atlantic Auditorium. The Count got déjà vu on the way down the backstage ramp. After a little thought, we decided it was reminiscent of the Auditorio Nacional in Mexico City. Inside, we entered the auditorium, a large 8,000-ish capacity hall with a beautiful wooden roof. There was a lot of noise coming out of the PA bouncing around the cavernous empty space, so we headed for catering where we helped ourselves to buffet lunch. Sadly, there was no milk for the coffee, but there were cherries. Not at a hello to Jean-Jacques Bernal, bass player of The Stranglers. He stared blankly back. Don't know if it registered or if he was just too cool to be pleasant to strangers. The Stranglers' manager, Sil Wilcox, popped in to say hi. We've known Sil for a few years now. We spent a week living and working at the studio on his farm in the West Country when writing marbles. He was the one who introduced us to the convention idea and was instrumental in setting up the first one at Pontin's holiday camp back in 2002. Nice chap. Good laugh. Soundcheck was protracted whilst the local production crew tried to locate the source of massive radio interference on the guitar amplifiers, but it was eventually sorted out. Gabriel Perez and Chum Paco arrived from Barcelona during soundcheck, so I sorted them both out with passes and beer. Mark's main keyboard computer had been dropped in transit and had to be partially rebuilt, 
Rother's Trio guitar amplifier had met a similar fate, but it was opened up and circuit boards fastened back in place. By some miracle, everything then worked. Hurrah! Gabriel wanted to speak to me about details regarding my solo performance on the opening night of his Gig Within a Gig at the Palo San Jordi in Barcelona. So we went backstage and he talked to me at length while I tried, mostly in vain, to follow him. I'm sure it'll be fine. Edgar Diaz showed up with his girlfriend Diane, so I chatted with him at length about upcoming solo shows in Portugal too. We were still in the middle of this when Rich pointed out that it was 6.30 and we're on at 7pm. I'd forgotten we were on so early. We decided to go on five minutes earlier to be sure not to overrun, so we hit the stage at 6.55. Are they going to turn the house lights off? I inquired. They're off. That's daylight coming in through the ceiling, said Rich. Fair enough. The gig went well. All the technology worked, at last, and the band played well. I had a good sound, care of Phil Brown, who always works wonders, and I felt comfortable in the big space, pacing around the stage and along the top of the PA, which suddenly appeared before me like a catwalk as I got to the wings. We'd gone for a pop set upon the advice of Edgar, who reminded us of the songs which had had the airplay here. So no one can, beautiful and cover my eyes, were wheeled out to good effect. I could see the crowd being won over as the set progressed, the hands in the air slowly spreading towards the back of the hall from the hardcore fans at the front. That's a good feeling. We closed the show with Neverland, and that was that. All five of us were pleased with it. That's a rare thing. I realised I'd forgotten to mention the website from the stage and I was quite pissed off with myself. Oh well, maybe they wouldn't have known what I was on about anyway. Had a long chat on the phone with Elle, who seemed a little upset that I hadn't been in touch all afternoon. Sometimes it's hard to find a moment. But I can also imagine how hard it is when you're at home with your imagination and insecurities and your other half is out in the world and out of touch. Must try harder. Went out front with Edgar and Gabriel to watch the Stranglers set. I thought they were great. I hung around for the B-52s too. I thought they were good, but this seemed like the wrong space for them somehow. I bet they're brilliant in a New York club, but the big auditorium just seemed not to fit them. Great players, great singers too, just not quite the right environment for them. Waited to hear Love Shack, well you must, and then went back downstairs to the dressing rooms with Edgar and his girlfriend Diane for more beer. Had a bizarre meatloaf incident. He appeared in the corridor, seemingly from nowhere, and marched towards me. I know you, he said. We've met. Now where was it? We haven't met, I said, but I know you. I'm sure we've met. Was it LA? No, we've never met. New York? Or was it London? We've never met. Who are you? I'm the singer from Marillion. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I was getting my stuff together for the show and I missed your set. I'm really sorry. That's fine, I said. I know exactly how that is. The boys in my crew are raving about you guys. They said you're one kick-ass singer. I really wish I'd seen it. Well, thanks. Let's hug. So we hugged, and then he disappeared back into his dressing room. Sunday, 27th of July. Lisbon, home. Woke up around 9.30 and texted Elle to see if she had time to call me. She was feeding vibes, so she called me a little later. We chatted for a while. She says the weather is still sunny and warm in England. What a shame I'm missing it. It doesn't happen very often and we've had an awful summer so far. She suggested I catch a cab downtown and have breakfast in the sunshine myself. I decided that would be a great idea, so I showered and took a cab into a square with a fountain and breakfasted at the Café Nicole. Lovely. Had coffees, orange juice and omelette while being slightly irked by flies and people trying to sell me sunglasses when I already had a pair on my face and having to keep fishing around in my pocket for euros to give to a steady stream of beggars. I think the word was getting around. 
After breakfast, I walked up the hill to where I remembered the fine old Brazilian cafe is located. It's one of the oldest and most beautiful interiors in Lisbon, and there's always a good atmosphere. When the old waitress asked me what I would like, I said, Capirinha. This brought a smile to her face as she returned to the bar. Perhaps it was a little early to be hitting the cocktails, but hey, it's not every day you're in the Brazilian cafe in Lisbon. Re-emerged, feeling suitably caperinead, and in a rush of enthusiasm decided to walk back to the hotel. It was much further than I remembered from the cab ride into town, and all uphill. The afternoon was pretty hot and humid, and I arrived back at the hotel 35 minutes later, like a grease spot. Another Caipirinha was ordered at the hotel bar while I read the newspaper and killed time to check out. Checked out and was relieved of 70 euros for the three Caipirinhas and last night's omelette. Holy cow. It's a good job we've only got a few of these festivals. I'm not sure I could afford many more. tell you why we're not on mic right so when we were in the kremlin right we did this gig we're doing and it's inside the kremlin we got these passes and we got caterers with us and they were downstairs we were downstairs in the theater and, and one of the chefs skinning up i said what are you doing he said what's it look like i says you're skinning up he says yeah i said we're in the kremlin he says and i says look at fucking nick there So he said, yeah, somebody going to smoke? And he goes there, over by the kitchen, like, I'm like, fucking hell, my ass is twitching, like. So he, he sparks it up, and he goes, do you want some? I went, no, he went, you shit house. He went, give us it here. And I don't normally smoke weed. <laughs> I took two pulls on and give me back, I said, I'm not a shit house. <laughs> I can actually say, I've had a fucking spliff in the Kremlin. <laughs> well... Oh dear! You see, that's the kind of stuff, Charlie. That's what he was after. You that, see. that you can't from, say from, on the podcast. <laughs> and that's what I mean. That's why I told you. Oh, oh dear! I'd like to be in your confessional for an, uh, an overnight trek somewhere. Oh, oh, I could tell you a lot more. Oh, I bet you I'd, I'd go to prison. <laughs> right, you ready? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going. Right, I'm still at it. All right. I've got and all that about him spliffing oh. up in the Kremlin. He thought he thought it wasn't being recorded. <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to use it, Charlie. You're absolutely fine. It doesn't bother me. We're absolutely fine. You did what? No. Um, I want to start like that. You did what, Charlie? And we're back. Hey. Um, after that bit of diary, and it's the meatloaf story, which I think we have covered. I'm but I was just mentioned it. Uh... Yeah, I think you have mentioned it, but I was just questioning whether he did the accent in the diary reading because it did sound a little bit, a little bit Pacino esque. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he did sound. He didn't sound like Al Pacino. I, I can't remember where he's from. Is he a sort of Midwesterner, or is he I'm, more? I'm of not a, sure. He didn't sound sure. like a Texan. He wasn't. No. Like, I'll be careful now. He wasn't one of them. You know, he was more of you know. I know you. His voice was very was big as well, wasn't it? it yeah. His his voice matched his personality and his size, obviously. And his general, yeah, he was speedy, wasn't he? I mean, he sang all of those speedy songs. Over. He was. He sort of talked like that as well. <laughs> you knew he was there. He must have. He must have had a right go at Jim Steinman. Will you take some of these fucking lyrics out? How do you expect me to get that in there? <laughs> Oh, I, th- I would have thought it was effortless having met him. What, Meatloaf or Jim Steinman? Oh, I've not met Jim Steinman. Uh, uh, I don't know anybody who's met Jim Steinman. I'd quite like to find out what Jim Steinman was like. Anyway, I digress. So, um, the other thing you said in there, uh, because the festival, the B-52s were on the festival list, weren't they? Love Shack Piper! Yeah. Oh, the do- door! He's got the, the door thing. Not nah, nah, the door! Yeah, right, he okay, was about, about he was about ninety five. I couldn't believe how old he yeah. was. Yeah, he fainted. Jesus, yeah. this bloke's old. Yeah, well, two words, croomcast. So we'll leave that one. <laughs> leave that one hanging. Um, I've, but were or, they... I've already done the croomcast. Oh, have it's, you? It's a cracker, and I'm not telling. Is it? Yeah. Right. 
Right, it's Charlie on it. <laughs> What's that one? <laughs> At the end of the episode, Charlie, we do, there's a little musical interlude. Uh, an homage uh, to certain songs. Um, and I was just wondering whether you'd been roped in for it this week. I might, no. rope, I might rope you in before the end. I might okay. just get you. I need a couple of samples from you. Okay. I need right. a couple of all right H's from you. <laughs> <laughs> so you now need, Charlie, do you now need to do an impression of you <laughs> that isn't it. you, but that just happens to sound like H's impression of you? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just pretend you've just got up and I'm having a cup of coffee and you'd say... More than each. You would not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Taylor. <laughs> All right, Taylor. Hmm. No, we don't do that, do we, though? No, it's all so going in. So going back a second, were the B-52s as bonkers as you'd want them to be? They were... No. No. That's it, a shame. It, for, I thought they were just a little bit out of place there because they were. it was, a fest, it was an indoor festival. Ah. Um... And I watched. I really enjoyed them, uh, but I, I, the whole time I was watching. I was thinking, I'd really like to see this lot in a club. Mm. I bet they're amazing in a club, but on a on a big sort of festival stage, it was kind of the wrong place for them. Somehow, it, it didn't have that same sense of fun, you know. No, because it's not a sense of theatre, is it? It's not larger than life necessarily with them. It's about the fact they are they're, they're a bit. It's a, bit, it's, it's a bit of a pastiche, really, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is a little bit. It's got a touch of that 50s thing, hasn't it? And yeah. The beehive hairdos and all of that. Except that they were all about 70. Um, you know, done up like they were 26. Which, you know, I mean, once you're 70, you've got no choice of you. But um, they, it, it, it would have just been great in a club. And it was great anyway, but it just felt a bit out of place to me. Mm. Oh, I, can't, I don't know if I'm disappointed or not. I get it. I get it. And and yeah, you, you'd want to see them in a little kind of falling down kind of venue, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, they're great singers. Life. The girls are great singers. Mm. She's got what a was, great voice. What was Meatloaf like? In terms, of, I know you met him, but did you catch any of his? No, his we'd set? gone. We'd gone. We right. were out of there before he went on. We'd uh, right. we'd cleared off, so I didn't actually see him. Yeah. Because he's in that kind of legend thing. I mean, you, you've, I'm assuming you no, you won't have driven for meat there for you, Charlie. That's not. No, and we do. The company's done the tour, but right. You know, we haven't done it for a long time. I think I went to a German company in the end. Um, mm. but I, I know we have done the tour the, the, in the company. He seemed like a really nice fella, which I mean, I should you, you shouldn't you should never generalise, but American artists can be a bit difficult. You know the, the the the. I guess that's not fair, is it? Because maybe maybe there's plenty of British artists who are well and truly up their own arse. But Americans can be very difficult, and yeah. and he Agreed. wasn't. He was lovely. Mm. I've got a mate who does monitors in front of house, and he and for a while um, he worked with Mariah Carey, and she was the only only person for that period of time that he'd have doing her, her monitors. And this was a hairy ass lad from Hucknall, right? And it just seemed like a weird mix. But you know, he used to work in a mine, and uh, and and ended up then moving into live sound, and ended up doing Mariah Carey. And you think, well, I don't, I don't kind of don't get, I don't get how that would, I don't get how that would, relationship would work at all. But it clearly did. Well, she was a colossal diva. I mean, I mean, is she's not dead, is she? She is a colossal diva. But I, I know a number of people have worked with her, and she said it's unreal. How you know the whole thing with the rose petals and the kittens and the, all of that? You know, I won't. I won't do this unless there's twenty five kittens in my dressing room, and I want people strewing rose petals in front of me when I walk up the stairs. And and then you know, she did that breakfast show thing where she was carried onto the set by two guys, so she didn't crease her frock. Um, and the BBC cameraman had to get out of the way. She brought her own cameraman. She wouldn't even let the, you know, the television company's people shoot her or light her. So control freak, hmm. complete. So your hairy asked 
man who used to work down the pit must have been bloody good at what he did. Or, hmm. He must have had a certain charm. Something. He's had yeah. a, a certain something. Yeah. Bless him. Um, Maybe he had ready access to kittens. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> his, own Any, kit, his own kitten farm. <laughs> Any strange riders, kind of, what people have people requested, Charlie? Do you get anything strange coming through? David Gilmore have a particular penchant for Midsummer Murders? <laughs> no, I was, on Gilmore, he, he was on a private plane. He didn't use right. a bus. I was production. Uh, no, he's a really, really nice guy. I mean, he was a family-oriented man. His, his family was always with him, his wife. Mm. They were lovely, lovely people. And it was, it was mm. a nice tour. I mean, rider-wise, there's a lot of wastage in riders. I mean, I've done a tour, I'll never forget it, 2000 it was, and it was Ricky Martin tour. I think we had about seven or eight buses. And we used to push, I'm not lying, every day a trolley, you know, like a, a supermarket, not a small supermarket, like a cage to the bus. And we would load them up with the stuff in the cage and we'd throw the stuff that we put on the day before away. It was horrendous. And oh, they just weren't yeah. eating it. Yeah, and then you'd have hot food delivered to the bus in the evening. It could be Chinese, it could be pizzas, and all this other stuff that was on the bus. And the wastage was unbelievable. Yeah, and you do find that on a lot of American tours. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of, you know, money, money spent and it's just wasted. I think mm. there's a lot of people in American rock and roll who will come and tell the artist, you, you need this, mm. you need this, and you go, well, I don't, you know, I'm fine with it. No, you have to have, you, you know, you can't respect yourself if you are asking for this, 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 and this, you know, and then you think, oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh, I'd better ask for that then. And you're almost cajoled into it by by the people around you. To yeah. some, some but you've people. also got a lot of people who say no to the artist, won't, you know, won't say no to the artist, it's always yes. I mean, I can tell you, if I'd done a tour, and uh, I'm not going to mention the name. Uh, it was a band, and the singer was a very strange character, and he had a uh, bed in the back of the bus. And he had me, bin, um, he got the tour manager to ask me, could a bin bag the windows up, even though the windows are blacked out? He was right. saying there was daylight coming through the blinds. So on my day off, I'll never forget it in Salzburg, I spent all day putting bin bags on the windows. The next day he turns up, he goes upstairs, I sees him come down the bus and say something to the tour manager, who then comes towards me, I just put my wrists out, ready for a slapping. <laughs> and I said, what's the problem? He doesn't like the bin bags. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, we need to do something else. In the end, I went to the merch guy and got cardboard and put cardboard on the window. And also, I couldn't go in the bedroom. He didn't want nobody to go in the bedroom. Now, normally you go in every day and make the bed, freshen it up and all that, but no... Uh, yeah, he was a very strange guy. He used to leave things lying down. To, I did go in, I mean, mm. to make sure, you know... He, he it's your boss. Yeah, of course, yeah, you have to keep an eye on it. But as a, yeah, definitely a strange guy. But I got my own back. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't go there with that I one. I knew you were going <laughs> to do it. I got my own back. It's nice watching a watch, watching an artist on the dock of a in, in Belfast in sorry in Lyon getting searched <laughs> <laughs> in his green pajamas and his bifocal glasses and his flat cap going to the tour manager Eric Eric and I'm going still got troubles over here you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, so. Rules from today. Things we've learned today. Don't fall out with Charlie. No. Um, no. Requesting I, I know that instinctively. Windows. I don't need to be told <laughs> You that. don't need to be told that. <laughs> no. Is it a warning sign, Charlie, if, if an artist has to talk to you through a tour manager? Does that, does that send the alarm bells up? Is that yeah, quite it does, normal? It does, yeah. It does, yeah. It's a bit strange, you know what I mean? I mean, you get, you get some artists that won't even talk to you at all. You know, you're just the driver. Yeah. I mean, that's when you find it all strange. That's when you find it up their own arse then. Mm. Yeah, I heard about a certain drummer who I won't name, and he, if he needs his, you know, when he's when he's sorting out his monitors, if he needs anything, he asks his tech, and his tech goes and asks the monitor man, because he doesn't speak to the monitor yeah. man. And, and I, I, I find that, well, not only inefficient, but just a bit sad, isn't it? I mean, we're all just people at the end exactly. of the day, aren't we? 
Um, well, it's also a bit discourteous because at the end of the day, the guy doing the monitors is equally as professional as everybody else. Absolutely. And you, That's his you, job. You're stuffed without him. You rely on him yeah. and, and you should respect him. You know, I, I'm, I mean, I've... I, I talked, you know, the the people who come and clean the rooms in the hotel, I talk to them no differently to how I'd talk to one of the band or, you know, or the management or the blood, or whoever, Prince yeah. Bloody Charles. You know, we're all, we're, we, we're all people doing our best and, and we should be respected, especially if we're any good at what we do, whether that's over in the carpet or polishing your jewellery, you know, whatever it is. But you also find some crews uh, think they're bigger than the band. Mm. You, 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 I've seen that a lot on tours. That really? Think, yeah, yeah. It can be a bit nasty, like. <laughs> right. Particular people? I mean, is that front of house monitor or is that just anybody in the in Anybody, the really. If they've been with, a, say, a, a really big artist and they say the, the tune and the guitars, well, they think, you know, they're God. You know what I mean? Mm. That tour won't go on without, you know, them. And then they get a shock one day when they're not there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is a bit strange because you can buy a tuner for thirty nine ninety nine, and they get it right every single time. Yeah. And, you know, you can't buy something that hoovers your carpet. Maybe batteries every six months. Well, Charlie, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, um, thanks, Charlie. I'm intrigued by the things you can't tell us. Uh, I can't help thinking one extra piece of content with Charlie, with everything he's not supposed to say on the official podcast, wouldn't half drive the purple numbers. <laughs> Um, but um, but um, uh, it's been an absolute. It's been really lovely to meet you. So thank you very much for finding the time. What you what? Shouldn't you be sleeping now? No, we could two or days th- off. I'm just getting over right. the Guinness from last night. Right. Okay. Fine. Oh, that's all right. I've not I've not kept you up or anything. No, 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 no. Far from. Right. I've really enjoyed this. This has been a bit of an eye opener for me. This. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Well, <laughs> for us two, it's been the last two and a half years of our life. Once a week. It has. It's got out of hand. The Corona Diaries, it all got a little bit out of hand. Yes. Yeah. Are you still on the road next week, H? Yes. Yes. I'm, Hotel uh, room again then. Where I'll next week? In, uh, where will I be next week? I'll probably be in uh, Berlin. I oh. may well be in Berlin next Monday. Uh, what are we doing? We've got, we've got Stuttgart, then we've got Bremen. Then Hopefully you'll get your roots done. Yeah, hope I'm I'm hoping I get my roots done. Um then I think it's Berlin and Oberhausen. I've missed a couple out, haven't I? I think we're in Bremen on the day. No, we're in Bremen Sunday, show day Bremen Monday, show day Tuesday, Frankfurt, day off Oberhausen. Oh, okay. I've missed Frankfurt out. So right. yes, I'll either be in Bremen or Berlin or Frankfurt. Somewhere German. So most definitely German, right. probably with the food stuff named after it. Right. Okay. Well, enjoy. I hope everything goes okay with hair. Looks Thanks. fine, actually. By the way, I wouldn't know it's not been done. Oh, that's good. That's because the camera's pointing at Charlie. I suspect. That's right. That's right. Right. I'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round all day long. And the band on the bus go chatter, 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 chatter. The band on the bus go chatter, chatter, chatter All day long And the crew on the bus go And the crew on the bus go All night long Thank you Philip Ogden Cheers James Rackledge All day long
And the driver and the bus goes All right, H. All right, H. All right, H. The driver on the bus goes All right, H. All day long. I love Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>